thing in All right, you can go ahead and be seated at this time. Welcome to Corridor Baptist Church and the beginning of our revival meetings. And so just uh, so you know, a few schedule changes. Well, actually, um, 10 o'clock this morning is actually our 11 o'clock service, kind of combined with our Sunday school. We're just having one this morning, and that is so we can get done before uh, the air show starts because it has a tendency to get really loud. And speaking of the air show, following the air show, we had so much food um, donated and given for the banquet Friday night that uh, Amanda said we have enough. Let's have a uh, let's have a um, meal following the service, and anyone that wants to stick around can have hot dogs, hamburgers. There's drinks, and I think there's even some desserts, and uh, can stick around and watch the air show. So that is available to you. And, uh, of course, the, the church is doing that for free. However, there are going to be um, areas where if you want to uh, donate, the food's been donated, but we'll, uh, any proceeds will send to the Glencoe Project. So if you wanted to donate for your meal this morning, we will give everything to the Glencoe Project. And, and uh, we uh, certainly, every penny counts when it comes to that. But, hey... Um, Regardless, stick around, fellowship, uh, there's plenty of food for everyone, and uh, it's always good. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, Josh will be telling us, uh, reminding us of that after the service. And so let's go ahead and dismiss some of our classes at this time, starting with the first, second, and third graders. All the first, second, and third graders, you can head to your class at this time. The fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, you can go ahead. And go to your class at this time. And then all the 7th through the 12th graders, all the 7th through the 12th graders, you can go back to your class at this time also. All right. And and though we have the schedule changed this morning, our schedule tonight remains the same. 6 o'clock and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, also 7 o'clock for the weekday services. You're not going to want to miss a service. Of course, we've been having... Brother Schwanke come to our church for many, many years. As a matter of fact, uh, he was probably one of the very first speakers that we had come to our church after I came. He was one of the few speakers that would come when we were only running 10 people. And uh, we, so he has been with us really since the very beginning. And we appreciate that. You know, I was thinking uh, thinking earlier this week how that um, one of the blessings of being in the ministry is the fact that you get to have not only lifelong friends but eternal friends and you get to grow with them and and they get to grow with you um and and it, it it's so sweet because um there's also that other side where my wife and i don't even like to look at pictures from the the ministry past because you see so many faces of people that have that have hurt you people that have left the church and people that are no longer in church people that have destroyed their lives and boy uh, you just you look at those old pictures and you think man I just I I don't even like to look at those but then there are those that have been with you since the beginning and there are those that are a blessing to you today and brother Schwenke as I said was probably uh, if not our first one of our very first uh, speakers at Corridor Baptist Church he's been coming back ever since of course we knew each other before I was the pastor here at Quarter Baptist Church, so we appreciate him. He's been such a blessing to the ministry here, and we enjoy every time we get him. There's actually even been some 
um, times where he's come where he wasn't uh, necessarily scheduled because he had someone uh, drop and uh, called us and then we're we'll always take him we're always ready to have him here this is a church that loves the preaching of the word and brother Schwanky is all about preaching the word of God and we certainly enjoy that and I think he feels at home with us so brother Schwanky why don't you come on up here always good to have you with us brother thank Appreciate you, you. And God bless you Thank you so much, preacher. God bless you this morning. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke in chapter 19. The book of Luke in chapter 19, I'd like to begin in verse number one. And of course, it's always a real privilege and a blessing to be back at Corridor Baptist Church. The preacher was right. The first time I was here, was about 10 people. The last time I was here, there's about 10 people, if you remember. So. <laughs> so it's good to see you here this morning. I'm really delighted that you're here. The last time I was here was two years ago. And of course, that was a month into the... Uh, uh, the disease of the day, and, and uh, it's just, a, it's a, the place was empty. I think you're all home watching on TV or something, but uh, there were a few people. I think that week you started to have some people come back, and, and it was uh, by select invitation only, <laughs> as, as I remember. But it's certainly good to see you back and, and right where you're supposed to be, right there at the Assembly of God's People, the New Testament Church. You know, for all the trouble of the last years, Independent Baptist churches, well, it's, it's, this has been a prosperous time. It's been a great time. Every week, week after week, I hear great testimonies of churches. And part of the reason is that our doctrine brought us through this. You know, a lot of people wonder, what do we do? What do we, well, for us, it really wasn't a struggle because the word church means an assembly. A New Testament church is an assembly of baptized believers. So assemblies have to assemble. It was, a, it was awfully easy for us to know what we were supposed to do. And, and I think there's some still trying to figure it out. But then I think they try to figure it out every week what they're supposed to do. And, and when you have a Bible and you have the commandments of our God, it, it really is laid out, isn't it? Uh, I, I've been studying these last weeks in Luke chapter 24. And, of course, the disciples are Cleopas and, and the other on the road to Emmaus. And, and then the rest of the disciples back in the city of Jerusalem. And, and it's amazing how on all accounts Jesus brought them back to one thing. Is the Bible enough? It is not the Bible plus your experiences. It is not the Bible plus your encounters. And quite honestly, it's not even the Bible plus the empty tomb. Uh, when the women came to the, uh, excuse me, I said that wrong, the empty sepulcher. Did you know that? In our Bible, it's always called the sepulcher. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I was just studying it. Wait, wait. Every time it says sepulcher. All the other modern Bibles have Jesus in a tomb, but our Bible has him in a sepulcher. One time it is called the tomb of Joseph. If Joseph had been laid there, it would have been a tomb. But for Jesus, it was a sepulcher. And, and you know, in the language of the New Testament, when I began to study, it was astounding. I'm really off on a rabbit trail. I usually don't do that. But hey, there's no Sunday school. It's your problem. But you know, in the language of the New Testament, when I look that word up, it, 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 it's not a place where you are, uh, a, a carcass is put. It is a memorial place. Wow. So for Jesus, it was a sepulcher because that's what it was. It was just a memorial. It was to remember that Christ died and he rose again. Had Joseph been put in there, it would have been a tomb for the ages. In other words, one more time, our Bible gets it right and the rest of them get it wrong. Somewhere, somebody said, we're going to make sure every time we talk about the place where Jesus was put, it was a sepulcher. Well, the angels were in that sepulcher and they were stunned. They said to the ladies, what are you doing here? 
uh, to Cleopas, the Lord Jesus said, what in the world are you doing? To the apostles, don't you remember what Jesus said? And it all comes down to the Bible, the mighty word of God. We walk in obedience to the Bible. We have our marching orders. And for a people who believe the Bible's the only rule of faith and practice, not to say it's easy, it certainly isn't, but to know what we're supposed to do, well, the orders are given plain and clear. And I, I'm grateful for these days to have the privilege to be in Corridor Baptist Church and, and churches like yours where people love this book and they love the testimony of Jesus Christ to stand up for him in times like these. What a great opportunity we have. Thank you for a good, warm welcome this morning. You have your Bible to the book of Luke in chapter 19. It was a few days earlier that the Lord Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan River in the country that we know today is the land of Jordan. There the Bible tells us Jesus comes across a man identified as a rich young ruler. Now, in America, we really don't appreciate those words. I mean, every rich young guy seems to be ruling something. But, but in Bible times, those three words didn't go together. Why, the words rich and young didn't go together. You didn't have your wealth until you had labored a lifetime. But even less, the words young and ruler, they were unheard of. So when we meet this rich young ruler, could I say we are meeting someone who is blessed? And that was the word. Why, it was thought back then, if you are rich, you are blessed of God. You are favored of God. The prosperity gospel is nothing new. It was in the days of the New Testament and taught by the Pharisees. Why, the rich people are the ones that were blessed and favored of God. And so do you follow? Because everybody is looking at this rich young ruler thinking if anybody is saved, that guy is saved. That guy is rich and that guy is respected. Why, that guy is favored and blessed of God. And when the man walks away, he walked away unsaved. And I don't know if we appreciate how stunned the apostles were. And they're looking at one another. What did we just see here? Because if there, any, if there was anybody in the whole country, in the whole region that was saved, that guy was saved. He is blessed of God. He is favored of God. And he walked away unsaved because he would rather trust in his riches than trust in Christ. And the disciples are stunned. They're looking at each other saying, well, wait a minute, if that guy's not saved... Who then can be saved? And they're scratching their heads. Well, we thought Mr. Prosperity was automatically saved. And he walked away without a Savior. And they're shaking their head and saying, If Mr. Blessed is not saved, who then can be saved? Now, I don't know that Jesus was laughing as we come to Luke chapter 19. Maybe not on the outside. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was laughing a little on the inside. Because when we come to Luke chapter 19, and you got to remember the question is hanging in the air. If Mr. Rich Young Ruler's not saved, who then can be saved? And on Luke chapter 19, you can hear Jesus give him a big old, watch this. If you're able physically, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Luke chapter 19 and verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And well, what do you know? And he was rich. Mr. Rich Young Ruler's not saved. Who then can be saved? Jesus is about ready to show him. Father in heaven, I'm grateful and thankful for the mighty words of our God. And I pray this morning that you give us ears ready to hear and, and hearts ready to receive, eyes that are open to the Bible. 
And Father, if someone in this room has never been born into the family of God, may they understand it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Then, Father, I pray for your children that the great orders of Christ would impress the soul and the heart of Corridor Baptist Church. We ask for your presence and your help, and we come in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. The Lord Jesus is in the city of Jericho, about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. Please don't misunderstand. It was centuries earlier that Joshua led the people of God to march seven days around Jericho. One time a day, seven times on the seventh day. The wolves of that city came down and God said it would never be rebuilt and it never was. The New Testament Jericho is a few miles away. To the distance, the ruins of Old Testament Jericho remain there. But now the city had been rebuilt in a different place. And it's 18 miles from Jerusalem. More important, the Lord Jesus Christ is seven days away from dying on a cross. You know, as I studied the book of Luke, I I counted, and you may find some I missed, or, or we might disnumber them a different way. But I counted more than 80 different lessons that Jesus taught his disciples. You know, there was always the great crowd of people. They were there for the meals and the miracles. There, of course, was always the Pharisees and the religious establishment. They were there to criticize. But it was the disciples to whom Jesus poured his life into them. And and not just the 12, there were many others. And they were the ones that Jesus had lesson after lesson after lesson. I counted 80 of them plus. But when we come to Luke chapter 19, this is going to be the final one. Next scene, the Lord Jesus will be in a place called Bethany. The next story in the Bible, Jesus Christ goes into the city of Jerusalem. They are waving the palm trees and throwing their clothes in the way. They are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Within 40 plus days, well, within 10 days, there would be the empty tomb. 40 days after that, the disciples would watch Jesus ascend into heaven. So we have come to three and a half years. We have come to the very last lesson that Jesus has for them. He has poured his soul, he has poured his life into these disciples. Soon it will be their responsibility to go to the world and preach the gospel and build New Testament churches. So Jesus has one more lesson he needs to put into their heart. Remember, it's hanging in the air. If Mr. Favored, if Mr. Blessed isn't saved, who then can be saved? So now Jesus said, all right, you need to watch this. We don't see it with our American eyes, but in verse number one, the Lord Jesus just managed to offend the entire city of Jericho. Notice the Bible tells us that he entered and passed through Jericho. So we read that, and and that's nothing for us. Many of you this morning get to this property. You had to pass through another town. You had to pass through a city. You passed through a lot of places to get here. In America, we don't appreciate that, nor do we even think about it. But you know, for the Lord Jesus to pass through Jericho, uh, it was quite an upsetting thing. You see, when a famous person like Jesus were to come to a city like Jericho, well, in America, we call it throwing out the red carpet. Back then, it was expected that you would accept the hospitality of the city. The Middle East, then even more than now, but now as well, it is built upon hospitality. And it would be expected that if you come to our fair city, 
Well, we're going to throw a banquet in your honor. We're going to open up the gates of an important person's house. And, and we'll let the crowd come and watch as, as the honored guests and those who are invited get to dine. So it would be expected that perhaps a religious leader, maybe Mr. Rich Man, maybe Mr. Politician, but somebody would open up their courtyard and the table would be spread and Jesus would sit at the place of honor. Why would the multitudes following him every step of the way? You can be certain that anybody who's somebody, they want to be seen with Jesus that day. But you know, Jesus comes to the city of Jericho when he does the unthinkable. He refuses their hospitality, and he passes through the entire city. In other words, the Lord Jesus said to Mr. Mayor, thanks, but no thanks. To Mr. Religion, thank you, but no thank you. To the rich people, thank you, but no thank you. There is someone more important that I have to abide with today. A Bible way of saying I need to dine with them. There is somebody that I need to meet that is more important today. And so the Lord Jesus passes through the city of Jericho, uh, declining the hospitality of that entire city. And while we don't appreciate it or even see it, he just managed to offend everybody. You know, the Lord was pretty good at that. He was a whole lot better at that than we give him credit for. Not that people today would give anybody credit for that. But you know, the Lord was never concerned about being politically correct. The Lord was never concerned about getting the multitudes to like him. The Lord was never concerned about what the opinion polls said. The Lord Jesus did not care as to whether the religious establishment put their stamp of approval on him or no. There was somebody more important. There was a job that had to be done. More importantly, there was a lesson that had to be taught because the disciples are befuddled. They are saying, if that Mr. Rich Rung ruler's not saved, who then can be saved? And so the Lord Jesus needs to deal with that. Passing through the city of Jericho, there's no time to meet and play the hospitable games. The Bible tells us that he comes to the other side of the city. And passing through Jericho in verse number two, uh, there was a man named Zacchaeus. You know, I love that little word in verse number two. It's become one of my favorite words in the Bible. It says, and behold. You know, that word behold is kind of a Bible way of saying, you're not going to believe what happens next. It's kind of a Bible way of saying, fasten your seatbelt because here it comes. The unthinkable is about ready to take place. And sure enough, at the end of the city, after Jesus has rejected the hospitality of the famous and the rich and the religious, here is a man named Zacchaeus. Now, I will promise you it would be hard to go to the Bible and find a more misappropriately named man than Zacchaeus. The name Zacchaeus means to be a pure man. It means to be a just man. Aye, it means to be a righteous man, even an innocent man. And if there is anybody in the city of Jericho who is not pure and is not righteous and is not innocent, it would certainly be Zacchaeus. You talk about a guy with a name that doesn't make sense. Well, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was there. And in verse number three, he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. 
So here is Mr. Zacchaeus desiring to see the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there may be somebody like that here today. Perhaps what's brought you to this building, you say, you know, my neighbor, my co-worker, they speak of Christ. And somehow someone they've never seen, yet they love. And someone they don't know has just transformed their life. And what could possibly be the hold on them? What love could they have for someone like Jesus? Maybe that's what brought you here today. And whatever the curiosity factor was, well, it's what brought Zacchaeus to the city limits of Jericho to see if he might discover who this Jesus really is. You see, the problem with Zacchaeus in verse number two is that the Bible tells us he was a publican. Now, in Bible times, if you lived in the land of Israel, and Jericho was a beautiful city in Israel, If you lived in Israel, about the worst thing you could be after a murderer or a thief would be to be a publican. You see, the publicans were tax collectors. They worked for their version of the IRS. Of course, that might even work. No, no, if you work for the IRS. If you work for the IRS, what can I tell you? We love you. You know why? We're commanded to. No, no, it's all good. But you know, it was a little worse back then, if it could be worse, because the tax collectors in that day didn't work for the Israeli government. They worked for the Roman Empire. Most Israelites, they loved their country. They were nationalistic and patriotic, and yet they were being ruled over by a Roman emperor from miles away. And why they were restrictive and they were controlling. But what made it worse were these publicans, these tax collectors, and they would siphon money from Jewish people. They would keep some for themselves, and then they would give the rest to the Roman Empire. And for that reason, the publicans were the most despised people. In fact, the religious authorities in the first century said, if you are of Jewish heritage, you're good to go. You're going to go to heaven. The only way a Jewish person could not go to heaven is if they were a murderer, a thief, or a publican. And they were hated. I mean, publicans were so evil, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Publicans were disgraced. They were not welcome in the synagogue. And the synagogue wasn't just a place of worship. It was the place where you had your fellowship. It was where your friends met. They were lonely. They were discarded. They were rejected people. But you know, in a place like Jericho, the tax collectors were awfully wealthy. They collected taxes everywhere. There were tax booths at the gates when you entered the city. There were tax booths along the highways. Two major highways crisscrossed at Jericho. I mean, tax collectors would always get their cut, and they would send the rest on to Rome. And the people of Israel despised these traitors. They looked at them with scorn and hatred. They are working for the Roman government. And it's one thing to work for the Roman government, but it's something else to work for the Roman government by taking our money. These men were absolutely hated. And you know about the only thing worse than being a publican? That would be to be the chief publican. The Roman Empire would come to a place like Jericho and and basically they would get wealthy men together and auction off the publican business. And so the guy who bids the highest, the guy who wins the auction is the guy who becomes the chief publican. So in other words, it's a pyramid scheme. You got all these little publicans going around stealing money and raising exorbitant taxes. And all the money is siphoned through a guy who is the chief publican who takes his cut from all the money and the rest is sent on to the Roman Empire. I mean, it's not just that Zacchaeus is rich. Zacchaeus is very rich. 
He is the chief publican. And in verse number 7, the people of Jericho look at him and say, This man is a sinner. Oh, they hated him. They despised him. And yet here is Zacchaeus. He's got all this money. He's got all this wealth. He's got all this power. Nobody cares for him. And Zacchaeus that day wonders about this Jesus. Like everybody else, we have heard the stories. We hear of the miracles. We have heard the messages that he preaches. We know that the religious authorities hate him. So he must be a good guy. I mean, everybody wonders about this Jesus. And so Zacchaeus comes, and in verse number 3, he longs to see him. But the Bible says he could not for the press, because he was little of stature. So Zacchaeus has a problem. There are great crowds that are thronging Jesus. And, and because Zacchaeus is a short man, a man of little stature by definition in that day, means that he was less than five feet tall. And so Zacchaeus can't look over the crowd. And, and you would expect in that day, and ours I suppose, that, that you would elbow your way through the crowd, but that's not going to work either. Because every man in Jericho was packing. Then again, in Oregon, you probably don't know what that means. But can I tell you? But if you do know what that means, every man was packing. And in the robe somewhere in a pocket was a dagger about yay big. And you know, with Zacchaeus elbowing his way to the crowd, public enemy number one, well, for somebody to pull out the dagger and put it in the back of Zacchaeus, A, nobody would probably notice, and B, if they did, they probably wouldn't care. So Zacchaeus has one problem. He can't look over the crowd. He's too short. He's got another problem. He could never afford to mix it up with the crowd because they all despise him. And yet still, the word of God tells us he comes to a solution. And in verse number four, he ran before. Now, what we know is that he must have run outside of the city limits because there were no sycamore trees allowed inside the city limits of Jericho. They could have had to be at least 75 feet away. So maybe Zacchaeus thinks if I get out of town, then nobody's going to notice me and nobody's going to know who I am. And, and, and he runs out of town and he climbs up into a sycamore tree. Now, that's fascinating on two levels. To us, seeing some old guy run really doesn't move us one way or the other. Probably when you drove here today, you saw some old guy on the street just jogging along, and, and we're used to that. But in the days of the Bible in Israel, old men didn't run. In fact, once you were a man, you're supposed to walk slowly and carefully and thoughtfully, and it was considered humiliating. It was considered disgraceful for an old guy to run. And, you know, maybe there's something about that, because in that day, to run meant you had to pick up your robe and stick it in your belt, and, and some old guy's got to show his legs and his knees. That's bad enough in itself, you know? And so there's something to be said about this. But, you know, the old guy's supposed to be contemplating everything and just kind of thoughtful, and for an old man to run was very, very shameful. That's what changes the story in Luke 15. Because one day a father sees his son coming home. And that boy's going to come to the city gates where the elders reside. The judges of the city are there. And when that boy comes home, they're going to put abuse on him. They're going to shame him and humiliate him. That boy is going to probably be publicly beaten. That boy, they had a ceremony called Kazaza. They were going to disgrace him. You have embarrassed your family. You've embarrassed your father. As soon as that boy shows up at the city gates, they are absolutely going to disgrace him 
And when that father saw his son coming towards the city, he shamed himself. He humiliated himself. He sticks his robe in his belt and he runs after his son. I will take the humiliation upon me so that my son is not shamed when he arrives at the city gates. It was considered very shameful for a man to run. Well, Zacchaeus is running to get ahead of the crowd. And I don't care if you live there or here. I don't care if you live then or now. Old men aren't supposed to be climbing up any kind of trees, you know. And, and old Zacchaeus climbs up into a sycamore. And, and as I've read, the, their sycamores are a little different than ours. First, the branches would be very heavy and they could hold a man. But maybe more importantly, they had big leaves so they could hide a man. Because it is true, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. But I think we can all appreciate the fact Zacchaeus doesn't want anybody to see him. So now Zacchaeus is hiding behind the leaves. He should have asked Adam and Eve how well that works. And, and the Bible tells us hiding up in that sycamore tree. Don't you love the simple words in verse number 5? When Jesus was come to the place. Of course. I mean, Jesus is always in the right place at the right time. It, it just never fails. Jesus comes to the place. How often that becomes an important statement in the Bible. And Jesus has come to the place. Now, remember, he's already said no to the city. He passed through Jericho. He's already rejected all the hospitality, all the politics, all the what you're supposed to do. And now he comes to the place, the sycamore tree. He looked up and saw him. And said unto him. Now, you've heard this story a thousand times, right? Since you're about yay high in Sunday school. And, and you know what happens and you know what Jesus said unto him. But suppose you and I are 2,000 years ago and, you know, we just haven't read Luke 19 yet. And suppose you and I are part of the crowd that day and, and all of a sudden Jesus moves off the beaten path and he's up pointing at a sycamore tree and, and you can imagine a crowd kind of enveloping the tree and everybody's looking up and somebody says, hey, there's a man in that tree. And everybody's taking a closer look and everybody's looking and all of a sudden somebody says, and it's Zacchaeus. Can you imagine what the reaction would have been? Hey, can you imagine people just looking up and pointing and laughing? Hey, Zacchaeus is in that tree. I mean, you can just imagine what the reaction of the people must have sounded like. And if you and I were a part of that Israeli crowd and we had surrounded that sycamore tree and we looked up and saw Zacchaeus, you know what we are thinking? We are thinking Jesus is really going to give it to him now. I mean, Jesus is going to embarrass him for the ages. You're expecting Jesus to look up and say, Zacchaeus, you're a dirty rat. Zacchaeus, you're the most wicked man in this city. Zacchaeus, you are a crook. Zacchaeus, you are a thief. Zacchaeus, you are a traitor. And you are expecting Jesus to come up with a big, long speech, absolutely reaming Zacchaeus out for everything imaginable. That's what you're expecting if you're a part of that crowd. But can you imagine how stunning it was when Jesus, in verse number 5, said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thine house. No, no, Jesus said, thanks, but no thanks to the mayor. Thank you, but no thank you to the politicians. Thank you, but no thank you to the wealthy people. Thank you, but no thank you to the religious crowd. And now he is looking at the tree. He is pointing up at the dirtiest, lousiest sinner in the whole city. He is looking at the guy who is more hated and more despised than anyone else. And he said, Zacchaeus, I couldn't go to their houses because today I need to abide at your house. 
You know, I don't care where you live or when you live, you don't invite yourself to a stranger's house for dinner because there's something even bigger here. When Jesus said, I want to abide, I want to eat, I want to dine at your house, he is saying, and maybe we miss it in our culture, but he is saying, Zacchaeus, you're my crowd. It was a few chapters earlier that the religious establishment was fuming at Jesus because Jesus said, I would rather dine with publicans and sinners than with you. And you've got your special banquet, you've got your candles lit, and, and you've got all your prim and proper, and it's all about who you know. But Jesus points to the dirtiest sinners in town, to the most hated people. And it's not just eating with them. When you eat with them, you are saying, this is my crowd. He is looking at the religious establishment saying, I'm not playing your game. You're not my crowd. He is looking at the people who are trying to pay their way into heaven. And that's not my crowd. But now he's looking under a sycamore tree at the lousiest sinner in the city. A guy who's not only a publican, he is the chief publican. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down today. I'm coming to your house for dinner. I got to tell you, folks, hanging in the air is this question. If Mr. Rich Young Ruler is not saved, who then can be saved? And that's why I say you wonder if Jesus wasn't laughing. And he points up in the sycamore tree to answer that question. He says, watch this. And the Bible tells us that he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. You know, I just really love that verse. There are these people... And most of them <clears throat> fall into the Calvinist line, you know. Well, no, before you get saved, Dr. House, you know, there's a long process here. And this takes about nine months. And if you will enroll in our courses, we will teach you about creationism. And, and after that, we will give you a long instructions on, on the prophets and the law. And, and after about nine months of our great teachers, then you perhaps perchance will discover if you're one of the elect and you can get saved. Brother, I got to tell you, I don't know how long it took for Zacchaeus to get saved, but it was somewhere between sitting on that branch and his feet hitting the ground. Sliding down the trunk of that tree, he slid into the arms of Jesus and he was miraculously saved. There is no process here. There is no course to enroll in here. There is nothing to sign up for here. My old Zacchaeus is sitting on that branch as the dirtiest sinner in town. And by the time his feet hit the ground, he's born again into the family of God. If that's not instant salvation, well, then I'm not sure what is. Brother old Zacchaeus was born into the family of God. What a beautiful moment in time. Of course, he received him joyfully. And so the Bible tells us in verse number 8 that Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give unto the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. You know how we know Zacchaeus was saved? Because he became a brand new person, didn't he? Sliding down that trunk of the tree, sitting on that branch, he's the worst sinner in town. Now the Bible tells us his life has changed. And, and I wonder in verse number 8, if they're not at the meal in Zacchaeus' house, it says that he stood up. He could have fallen out of the tree, I suppose. But, but it says that he stood up. And, and I get the idea was at the setting of the dinner, the entire city would have jammed into the courtyard and they would have watched. And, and now Zacchaeus stands very publicly. And, and you know, two times isn't going to work here. The law demanded twice. Zacchaeus is going to go beyond that. And, and you know, when you read those words, this is not a, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. Brother, this is real, genuine repentance. He is a brand new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Zacchaeus says, he has saved me. My life has changed. My life is different. And you know, if the stories are true, and this is one of those things you can take it or leave it, 
But years later, in the northern part of Israel in Caesarea, there was a church that had a pastor named Pastor Zacchaeus. Not too far from there, there was another church, and their pastor was named Bartimaeus. Now, you know, most of the time when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? It's the certain man, the certain rich man, the certain scribe. Everybody's a certain somebody. They're unnamed people. However, when we get to Luke 18 and 19, in the story of Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, they are both named, which are very unusual things. But it's very possible that 20, 30 years later, when God gives the words of the book of Luke to Dr. Luke, it is very possible that Luke is saying, you know who Zacchaeus is, and you know who Bartimaeus is. Could I tell you the day that they were saved? And you know, that's certainly not beyond the power of God to save a guy, change a guy, and then call the guy to preach. And so if that's Mr. Zacchaeus up in Caesarea, if Pastor Zacchaeus is the same Zacchaeus as Luke 19, well, I guess it'll take heaven before we know, but it certainly sounds like the kind of thing the Lord would do, doesn't it? Whether he is or he isn't, what we do know is that his life was completely changed. And the Lord Jesus not only saved Zacchaeus, he changed him. Hanging in the air is the question. If Mr. Rich Young Ruler is not saved, who then can be saved? And now Jesus stands under a sycamore tree and he says, watch this. And he points at a rich man who just happens to be public enemy number one. And by the time Zacchaeus slides down the trunk of that tree, he's born into the family of God. Because I mentioned, at least I counted 80 different lessons. You know what the last thing Jesus taught his disciples? The very last thing that Jesus wanted them to get? I mean, Jesus knew what they didn't. In seven days, literally seven days from the moment Zacchaeus slides down that tree, Jesus will be hanging on a cross. Jesus is saying, gentlemen, before I ascend back into heaven, before there is a Calvary, before there's an empty sepulcher, before all these things take place, there's one more thing. I've been trying to drive this into your hearts for three and a half years, but it's that one thing you've got to grasp. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. They are questioning who then can be saved. And the Lord Jesus says, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Why, the dirtiest sinner in Jericho is a prime candidate for salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord could save Zacchaeus, then there's nobody in Hillsboro, Oregon that's too hard for him. You say, you don't know about my family member. My dad, he's so hard. My son, my daughter, they're just so stiff to the gospel. I don't think they could ever get saved. If the Lord could save the worst scoundrel in the city, then there is hope for your mom, your dad, your son, your daughter. There's hope for your brother, your sister, your co-worker, your schoolmate. There is hope for them. If Jesus can save Zacchaeus, there's nobody in this county that's too hard for the Lord. My friend, that's what he wanted his disciples to get a hold of. You're looking at a man from the outside in. You're looking at a guy that you presume is saved, but he's trusting something other than Christ. And now you wonder who then can be saved. Well, a few minutes later, the Lord smiles and says, watch this. Zacchaeus is born into the family of God because the disciples have a lesson to learn. It is the last lesson in the Bible before the events of Calvary week. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost.
You know, revival for a people of God, part of revival is when we get a heart for what he has for, when we get a burden that he has. When the Lord Jesus looked at the fields, they were white unto harvest. When the Lord saw the lost city of Jerusalem, he wept over that city. And maybe sometimes we've been saved for so long that that we kind of lose our vision, don't we? And we kind of lose that burden. And maybe even this morning, someone in this place could think back. You know, I remember when I was praying for my unsaved loved ones. and I remember when I was praying for my neighbor, praying, and, and, and those prayers have kind of been laid aside. And maybe we get so wrapped up even in doing what we're supposed to do that we forget he is here to seek and to save that which was lost. When God gets a hold of our hearts, then we're going to want what Jesus wants. When the Lord gets a hold of our hearts, his burden is going to become our burden. When Jesus begins to rule and reign in your life and mine, then we're going to be captivated by the fact that Jesus came, that Jesus walked through the city, that Jesus had one thing in mind that day, and it was the dirtiest sinner in town sitting up in a sycamore tree. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It was the last lesson before he goes to the Calvary week. Perhaps for somebody here this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. Would you look at verse number 7 in the Word of God? In chapter 19 and 7, when they saw it, they all murmured. And, and I know to us the word murmurs, kind of you keep it inside. But the word murmur in Bible times meant to express disgust. It was a very visible thing. I mean, it was written on your face. It was written in a, in a guttural language. It was just you expressed your disgust. So when the Bible says they murmured, it's a very strong disapproval. But notice very carefully what happens next. They saw it. They all murmured, saying that he was going to be a guest with a man. Something stunning just happens in that verse. You know, up until this moment in time, the most hated man, the most despised man, the man that everyone looks down on is that dirty Zacchaeus. But in verse number 7, if you notice carefully, the Lord Jesus Christ has just taken the shame of your rebuke and humiliation. You see what they're saying? They are no longer hammering Zacchaeus. They're no longer, oh, they're willing to say, that guy's a sinner. He's not like us who aren't sinners, you know. But, oh, but they're hammering Jesus. The big problem in verse number 7 is no longer the fact that Zacchaeus is a publican. The big problem is not even that Zacchaeus is the chief publican. The bigger problem is that Jesus has gone to eat with him. Seven days later, when Christ hangs upon the cross... You know, we all know that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. There are just dozens of verses in the Bible that say his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Repeatedly in the word of God, we are reminded that when Jesus is on the cross, he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. That's why when you and when I, when we have slid down our sycamore tree, when we have fallen to the arms of Jesus, you know, all the sins of the past, your pastors preached on it many times. They're all gone. They're all washed away. I believe there's 20 different things the Bible says. As far as the east is from the west, they're remembered no more. They are G-O-N-E, gone. 20 different things. Your pastors preached them again and again. You don't keep dredging up the sin because Jesus washed those sins away. You don't keep dredging up your past sins because those sins are all gone. And you know, that is so true. 
But it is not just our sin. It is true that Jesus died on the cross and he bore our sin. But in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that day under that sycamore tree, Zacchaeus is going to slide down the trunk of that tree into the mercies of Christ. His sins are going to be washed away. But in verse number 7, it's not just his sin. All the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment of sin, Jesus takes on him. And that's what he would do seven days later on the cross. We know that he died for our sins and he carried our sins in his own body on the tree. You just can't preach that enough. You can't sing that enough. What a glorious thing. But it's not just our sins. He bore our griefs. He bore our sorrows. All the disgrace and all the shame and all the embarrassment and all the humiliation of our sin. It is not just those sins that he carried. All the grief of our sins Jesus carried on the cross. You know, as wrong as it would be for a child of God who's been saved by the blood of Christ to dredge up the old sins and live in defeat for them, so it is equally wrong for a child of God to dredge up the old humiliation and the old embarrassments. And all oh, the devil's good at that, isn't he? And the devil's awfully good at saying, yeah, what happened back there? And what about this story? And what about this event? You remember when you said that? And you know, it's one thing to humanly say, the best I understand, those sins are forgiven. Those sins are gone. Those sins are washed away. But so is the disgrace and the shame and the embarrassment. And as we don't have to live under the weight of our sins because they are gone, we don't have to live under the embarrassment and the shame of our sin because the broad shoulders of Jesus carried them on the cross as well. He died for our sins. He died for the shame of our sins. And that day, coming into the story, Zacchaeus is the most hated man in town. But by the time you get to verse number 7, All of that shame is now on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you're not saved, if you could just look at this story, understand what happens, that if Jesus could stand under the sycamore tree and look at the dirtiest sinner in town, then the Lord Jesus is more than able to save you. Hi, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, when you trying to work your way to heaven, when you stop following your own reasoning, your own thinking, when you realize I am the sinner and Jesus is the only Savior, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. My friend, Pastor House, would like nothing more than to have somebody sit down with the Bible and let you see for yourself how a sinner like me can know that their sins are washed away, that Jesus is their Savior. Would you let him help you today? Many of you would say, I know the Lord. I know him as my Savior. Then would you let the Lord Jesus burden your heart? There's no neighbor. There's no loved one. There's no co-worker who has gone so far, who is so evil, but that the grace of God can't reach down and save them for eternity. The disciples are thunderstruck. Who in the world can be saved? If the guy we all thought was saved isn't saved, now the Lord Jesus walks under a tree and points up at the one guy they thought could never get saved. And while the man they thought couldn't be lost wound up being lost, now the guy who they thought couldn't get saved winds up being saved. He doeth all things well. It's the last thing Jesus wanted his disciples to catch.
It's the last lesson that he wanted them to learn before he would hang on the cross and die for their sins. When you read the Bible, you kind of recognize that eh, as soon as Jesus gets to Bethany, a lot of things happen, and they happen awfully quickly. Well, the last thing Jesus wants them to get is the Son of Man's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come to seek and to save you. If you know him as your Savior, he came to seek and to save your neighbor, your family member, your co-worker, your loved one. Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving that which was lost. May he find you and he find me about the master's business this week. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful and so thankful for the mighty word of God. And, and oh my Lord, how grateful I am that you would stand under a sycamore tree and you would love the most unloveliest of men. That you would look at the one man that everyone thought could not be saved. And by the great mercies of God, you would reach up in tender love and save Zacchaeus. Lord, if someone in this building has never been born into the family of God, I'm asking and praying that today would be that day of salvation. Then, my Father, I pray for your children. And Lord, that lesson you wanted to drive home to your disciples, may it ring for us today. Oh, Father, we ask you to do a work a preacher could never do. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm going to finish praying. And yeah, before I do and before we sing what we call an invitation song, I, I wonder if there might be someone here today who'd say, you know, preacher, uh, I may not be the dirtiest sinner in Hillsboro, then again, I just might be. The Lord knows my heart. And like Zacchaeus, I'm looking for answers, and I know, I know you can get everything the world offers, and it will never satisfy. I am the sinner who needs the Savior. And preacher, whatever happened to Zacchaeus on that sycamore tree, I need to happen in my heart today. I wonder if there's somebody in this room that would say, preacher, I need you to pray for me. I don't know that I am saved. I don't know that I am going to heaven, but I would like to know how. You know, I'd love to be able to pray for you, and that will never get you to heaven. But Pastor House would love to be able to have someone sit down with the scriptures and let you see for yourself right from the Bible how a man, how a lady can know that they have eternal life. So there's no tricks here. We're not going to embarrass anyone or shame anybody, but just in the quietness of this time, I wonder if there'd be someone here today that would say, Preacher, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that Jesus is my Savior. I would like you to pray for me. And after this service, I would like Pastor House to have someone help me from the Bible. I'd love to pray for you, and Pastor House would desire to help you. Is there somebody like that? Would you just lift your hand? I'll see your hand. We'll pray for you. And if you'll let us, we'd like to open the scriptures and help you from the Bible. The answer is never, never get religion. The answer is to know a Savior. Is there somebody like that? Pray for me. Pray for me. Father, we give you the invitation and ask you to do a work in hearts and lives in this place, in this moment of time. Now, for someone who's never been saved, Lord, would you help them understand that as Zacchaeus came to Christ, so this morning they can make that same choice. I pray for your people that the word of God would soften our cold, stony hearts. And and Lord, would you help us to see a world, to lift up our eyes and see those who are lost and be reminded yet again that Jesus even loves the Zacchaeuses. So we give the invitation to you in the great name of Jesus, I pray. Would you stand together with me prayerfully this morning? And the invitation song we'll sing in a moment. And as we do, 
Pastor House stands with me here in the front ready to help you. If you're not saved, would you come? And, and Pastor House will have somebody sit down with the scriptures and show you from the Bible how you can know you're born into God's family. This altar is a great place to get on our knees and humble ourselves before the Lord. And, and if you'd say this morning, you know, it's my heart that's gotten cold. And I'm the one who's gotten distant to the passion of Christ, to the fact that there is a world in, in Hillsboro, Oregon that Jesus came to seek and to save. What a great way to start a revival meeting to say, Lord, give me your heart. Give me a passion for the Zacchaeuses of the world that Jesus can save to the uttermost. So the altar's for you. The preacher's here to help you. Let's prayerfully sing the invitation song.